Hello and welcome back to the Winging It podcast, how to build, maintain and totally own a career that you love. I'm Lucy Hitchcock and I want all women who want to start a business or have an amazing career to feel fulfilled and happy from their career. So today I have the lovely Elizabeth joining me again on the Winging It podcast. Hello. Hi. Thanks for asking me again. I know it's so funny because I feel like there's so many topics to cover and I just feel like I keep going back to the same people time and time again because I'm just like, oh, they're just so insightful. Oh, thank you. I love being asked back on a podcast because you're like, I don't know, it's like a seal of approval that the first one was good enough. So <laughs> you're allowed back. We must have recorded the first one like a year ago, over a yeah, year ago? at least. Maybe like last summer. And I remember when we met in real life, we realised our enormous height difference. I know, I know. We were like, you're so short. And I was like, you're so tall. I just don't think you get that sense of someone's like, someone met me in real life the other day and was like, oh, I thought you were really petite. I was like, what are you trying to say? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, our picture makes me laugh that we did that podcast. It was so funny. Oh, yeah, because we would have done it in the studio. Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. So just apologizing because I'm actually sat by my single glazed windows and this is just hashtag working from home life now. COVID. I know, but we did both get dressed properly for each other today. I know I did. I did put makeup, jeans. Yeah. I've got a collar on and a sparkly hair clip. I know. I'm kind of jealous about the collar, but it's fine. It's big. <laughs> it, it is big. It's vibes. So do you want to reintroduce yourself for those of you who haven't listened to the last episode? Yes. So I'm Elizabeth and I'm a fashion brand consultant. I've worked in the fashion industry for about 13 years, maybe longer. I don't even know how old I am these days, but alone how long I've worked in an industry. So I've worked in fashion buying. I've worked for a supplier as like a sales and design account manager. And now I am a fashion brand consultant, like I said, and I work with people on their manufacturing, their mindset and their marketing. So like the three M's kind of sometimes chuck in like money and manifestation in there as well, because it's all interconnected. It really is like the positive mindset can really, I mean, I feel like you can't start a business with a negative mindset. It's got to be positive because you've got to be like, it's going to work. You know, it's going to work. Yeah, there's no other option, I think. Once those negative thoughts creep in, you've got to look for ways on how to squash them like immediately because it's just like, you know, when you're watching Gladiator when you're younger and there was that challenge where you're running through a tunnel and they're trying to beat you up from both sides. Yeah. Like that is your negative thoughts. So you're just trying to get to the end. Oh my God, I love that. And so you just need to like punch them away. Yeah, you really do. I think that's what's quite nice about, I mean, for me working with my clients, a lot of them like yesterday I sent, actually, I think a mutual client of ours, I won't name her, but I sent her an email and I was like, I'm so excited to be working with you on this. And then I was like, gave her like a little motivational message and she replied, (laughs) she replied and she was like, I really needed that today. And I was like, well, that's what I'm here for. I was like, I'm a cheerleader. That's so nice. Yeah, I think it's it's so nice to be able to work with people, especially when people need a bit of handholding. I just love doing that. Yeah, same. So the reason I wanted to get you on here today, Elizabeth, is because I know that you are a pro in the field of manufacturing and sampling and I mean, various other things as well. But 
I think it's interesting because one of the things that I found when I started Partner in Wine is I, I mean, I'm very much a doer. So as soon as I knew what I wanted, I just went straight onto Google and I was just pages and pages of Google scrolling through, asking questions, all of this sort of stuff. But I think when people go to find a manufacturer, that's obviously the first biggest hurdle of starting a product-based business. And so it's the most daunting one as well, because a lot of things that you do in business, you're like, oh, this is going to be really difficult, but I'm going to have to do it because I need to do it. But in terms of actually starting it, you really do need to find a manufacturer and it can take people, you know, it can take people years and then, you know, the confidence get knocked and then they can't find someone so they put it off when actually you can just go out there and do it. Yeah, I agree. And also when you said you're a doer, sometimes with manufacturing, you have to put your faith into someone else's hands because you physically can't do the thing yourself. And so that's really hard to kind of get your head around as well is that you want to do everything but you're like if only I could sew or if only I could build a metal bottle I would do it myself but I can't (laughs) and so you've got to trust that people are going to do it as good as you would. Yeah and also do it to the level that you would obviously want it to be done at which is yeah which is quite scary but I mean I'm all for outsourcing and I think obviously this is the thing that you have to outsource I mean I've you know, everyone tries to do their like accounts and website and, you know, all that themselves if they can. But actually manufacturing is the first thing you do have to outsource. Yeah. The only caveat I would say to that is like, if you can do it yourself to begin with, and you enjoy it as well. So some people say, I'm just going to use fashion as an example where they say, you know, I'm really good at pattern cutting and I love sewing. Do I need to find a factory? And it's like, not necessarily. No, like definitely start doing it yourself. If you're good at it and you enjoy it, then keep it in-house until the point where you have to like, you know, your orders outweigh your time. That's true. But if you don't enjoy it and you're not very good at it, then definitely outsource. I'm not very good at making metal water bottles. (laughs) (laughs) No. Haven't tried. (laughs) Going to take a stab in the dark, but it's not my forte. It's not what I was trained in, no. So yeah, no, I do agree with you. And actually, on that note, I think there is a lot of really good makers and creatives that have, in lockdown, started a business by making stuff at home, which I think is really cool. Same. I heard a stat the other day that was something like 28,000 new small businesses have launched this year. That's crazy. Mental. But I don't want that to be like a scary figure. I want it to be like a really exciting figure that that is where things are going. And so if you're in that bubble of small businesses, then amazing. You know, there's this uprising that you can be a part of. There is. And I think also, I guess the other thing is, is that I've noticed at the moment on Instagram, there's like a huge amount of noise about shopping small because mm. I think because it's been such an odd year, in order to support the economy and shop local and all that, people are more up for it because they're kind of like, well, you know what, the big shops have had to close and the smaller independents are the ones that have been able to maneuver their businesses. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of make it a bit more, you know, you can actually change your business model for COVID, whereas bigger businesses can't do it so quickly because you know they've got eight levels of people to sign it off and all of that sort of stuff yeah it's really interesting very exciting for 2021 it is very exciting so in terms of finding a manufacturer I mean I've just basically said how I found it I just went on google (laughs) yeah but what I guess I know that you mainly help fashion brands but what would be some of your tips if people are kind of struggling knowing where to start 
Um, there's multiple places. Google is one of them, but it can be really, really overwhelming. And so I would try and find like, you know, sort of like federations. So like World Fair Trade Organization. So um, you can go somewhere like that where they have almost pulled directories online together for you. So if you know the kind of area that you want to be manufacturing in, go to those sort of organizations or like even places like London College of Fashion or sort of follow your nose a little bit rather than just going straight into the world wide web yeah I would say start looking at the experts because they've probably done a little bit of the research for you then they can at least point you in the right direction so if somebody does say no that's not me rather than saying okay thank you you say can you take me like a step further and a step further so you're like following the crumbs around the internet yeah The other thing I would say in a normal world, there are loads and loads of trade shows. And I don't know, is this about any product business? I guess so. I mean, I don't know who's listening. (laughs) We don't know yet. So using your product as an example, there's a trade show called Top Draw that runs every January and every September, I think, or around then at least. And so you could go to those places and sometimes you do just have to be a bit cheeky and say, would you be interested in sharing whereabouts you got your items manufactured? People are like, God, I could never do that. And you just think, well, you can ask. Some people might say no, you might get lucky one day and somebody just say yes. And so it's just a day out. It's really nice. It's free to go to. You get a little bit of trend inspiration as well. And Could you do a swap in exchange for that information? If you're really good at like building websites or anything, really, you might be really good at SEO or taking photos and say, could I exchange information for some photography and see? Because at the end of the day, everybody's product is different and unique and you would put a different spin on it. And people do share that information, but, you know, maybe not willingly. But I was going to say, because I don't get asked this question. I don't have a hugely strong personal opinion on this. However, I regularly have clients saying to me like, oh, people message me all the time on Instagram going, where do you get your products made? Where do you get your products made? And I'm just not going to share that information with them. And I'm like, but do you not think that instead of, you know, obviously you don't have to share your factory, but you could reply and go like, this is how I found it. But obviously in your own research, you could go and, you know, maybe look into that. Yeah, and also I always think your job with a manufacturer is to maintain that healthy relationship and you're effectively like hiring them into your business and so if you can get them more work in exchange for better cost prices or quicker deliveries or whatever you could maybe have a chat with your manufacturer beforehand and say if I share your information with somebody else what could you do for me like what's in it for me Because if you could get them more orders, you're going to be up there with one of their favorite people for a little while. So it doesn't necessarily always have to be about like giving that information away, like see how you can make that work for you as well. Yeah. So I guess that's slightly different because that's like advice for people who already have one. But just know that it's not illegal to ask somebody else where they got that product from, but know that it might be nice to go at it from an exchange point of view rather than a give, give, give or take, 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 should I say. That's more like a product trade show. So that's where you can go for your competitors. But there's also sort of manufacturing trade shows. 
And using fashion as an example, there is a trade show called Fashion SVP that you can go to. There is Pure London, which is actually both a product trade show where people sell to high street boutiques. But upstairs, it is a manufacturing trade show. So it's like both in one. That's cool. There is another trade show called Make It British and you can go along there and that's all British manufacturers. So there's people there who like make sewing machines, but also like make blankets and make linen fabrics. And, you know, there's everything there, which is incredible. Wow. That's in Islington either once or twice a year. So I would just make sure that you're signing up to people's email newsletters and kind of put yourself in that world and sort of absorb lots and lots of information. I have a Facebook group called the Fashion Feed where people can go and they can ask for any recommendations in there and there's a mix of manufacturers and brands. The other thing I would say is that if you're at the very beginning and you feel like you're asking for help from a lot of manufacturers and you're not getting a response, I have this a lot with factories aren't getting back to me, factories aren't getting back to me. And it's probably because you're not quite ready. And just remember that they get inquiries like all day, every day from a lot of time wasters. Mm. You know that you're not a time waster, but they don't know that yet. So you actually have to, it's an unusual situation to be in to like sell yourself to somebody to take your money away from you. (laughs) Normally the case, normally it's the other way around. But when it comes to this scenario, you have to prove to them that you're not a time waster. And so if you can go there and do your research, you need a technical drawing of what it is that you're looking to get made. Maybe you can have already sourced some fabric, like have really good decision making processes in place. It's like not their responsibility to make those decisions for you. And so you do sort of have to pull your socks up a little bit and put your businesswoman knickers on <laughs> and then kind of go at it from quite a sensible point of view and proved yourself to them that you are at the position where you're ready to move forward. Because sometimes even then, if you do all of that stuff, you still might not be ready to work with a manufacturer. Like just remember, there's a gap between where you are now and working with a factory. And that might be like working with a local seamstress just to get some samples whipped up for a photo shoot. You put them on Instagram and see what the appetite is for your products. Yeah, I feel like in fashion, especially people just completely, I've never studied business in my life, but I know from reading one business book that the idea is to get a prototype and test it. <laughs> like That's number one. Oh, yeah. 100%. See if people actually want it first before you sort of plow your life savings into buying stock. That's quite an interesting point because the very first samples I got at the Partner and Wine bottle, yeah, they're not at all what the bottle is today, which I find really funny because I used to go and sit by the river with this bottle and my friends would be like to people passing by, oh, look, you, look at my friend, she's launching this bottle, it holds a full bottle of wine, blah, blah. People were passing it. Oh my goodness, that is such a good idea. And I was embarrassed because I had this bottle and I was waiting for the final sort of samples to come through. And I was sat with this bottle that I really wasn't happy with, like, stop telling people about the idea. <laughs> I was like, then they're going to ask to look at the bottle and then pick it up and they're going to go, oh, the lid's not right. Yeah. The lid doesn't screw in properly or like whatever they were going to say. But it's interesting because obviously, because I had these prototypes, even though they weren't 100% right, 
you know, you sort of start to get a sense of, is this something that actually people would be interested in? You know, I used to take it everywhere with me. I took it to the South of France in the summer with me, even though I, by that point, I'd already ordered my stock. But, you know, it's good to sort of get people's feedback and see the sort of questions that people start to ask, because then you can start to develop answers to those questions, Mm -hmm. you know, in your marketing website, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, having those samples, I think was really, really helpful in kind of shaping the way that the business sort of ended up. Definitely. I would say I've been consulting for like two years now. And I'd say pretty much every successful business that I've worked with has started that way. They haven't sort of tried to run before they can walk and know that there is that gap between nothing and a factory. There is somebody with a sewing machine or some, you know, woodworking tools or, you know, a local workshop where they can pull something together for you and maybe put it on pre-order. Like I get really scared when people say you had 10 grand to launch a business, you spend five grand on marketing and five grand on product and then you've got nothing left. And so say, I always like to use examples. So say you had, you're launching a blanket business and you launch some small blankets and some like huge blankets, some in black and some in white, and you spend £5,000 on all of this stock, but the huge black blankets sell out in five minutes. Yeah. But you've got £3,000 worth of stock that nobody wants, or not nobody, but it's just moving a hell of a lot slower. There's always going to be something that goes mental, but you don't know what it is until you try. <laughs> and then, shall I give you an example of this within Partner in One? So, I actually had four sample colors to start with, and that was black, white, pink, and stainless steel, which is our like core sort of color line. Yeah. At the moment, and we do have two limited edition colors, which are Merlot and Khaki, which are Christmas colors, which is a sort of separate thing. But to sort of test the waters, I had these four colors in the original sample, the original awful sample, and I would take them everywhere with me and go, "Which colors do you prefer?" And weirdly, I actually didn't like the stainless steel too much. I didn't prefer it to the back or the white. I preferred I think I preferred the white and the pink and that's what I wanted to launch with. And I was taking them around everywhere and people were going, oh no, I like the stainless steel because that's really unisex or, you know, people just love the stainless steel. And yeah, I, I got the stainless steel. <laughs> yeah. I was kind of like, this is really surprising to me, but okay, so fine. I'm going to order a hundred pink and a hundred stainless steel. I don't actually know if those were the exact numbers, but it might've been a bit more than that. So I ordered the pink and the stainless steel and I thought the pink was going to do mountains better than the stainless steel. And actually... It did do better, but because it's in the summer, the stainless steel has consistently done well. Whereas now we're into the winter, the pink is kind of lagging behind. Mm -hmm. And actually the colors that are doing the best is the white one. Yeah. But it's interesting because we only started with two colors. So going back to what you were saying is I thought, you know what? Let's start with two. Let's not run before we can walk. Let's test the waters, see how we go from there. And then I did actually ask from Instagram. I said, what colors would you prefer next? And I didn't put a poll, I put a box and the colours that people were putting in were black and white, Mm. which is what I was always going to launch, but it kind of like reinforces it. Yeah. You know, I wasn't having to spend huge amounts of money on stock because I was kind of drip feeding it through. And actually, I think it's personally better to do it that way because then you have more to talk about and you haven't just launched. Please, I could do a whole podcast on this. (laughs) Oh my God, yeah. I need to get a better phrase than this, but this phrase does tell you what it is is what I'm trying to say 
do not blow your load at the beginning oh. <laughs> because <laughs> you'll run out of things to talk about like what people I mean I don't know if this is slightly off topic but what people do is they have a very short-term mindset when launching their business they say I've got 15 ideas and I'm going to put 100% of those into my first collection and if it doesn't work it's a failure and it's like no it could be a failure because you've launched all 15 ideas at once and so launch five of them and then another five and then another five and you might not even get to the last five because you've learned so much from the first 10 that you sort of create to demand absolutely and you have to leave yourself something to talk about and keep it fresh and keep it interesting. I've had the same conversation like a hundred times with people like, please do not launch a hundred percent of your ideas from day one. I think, I mean, it is to do with manufacturing, but it's also to do with, I mean, so much of the whole, you know, launching a product process is to do with the way that you market it. And yeah, I, in terms of running out of things to talk about, I like to make sure that there's always going to be something, there's something next, there's something new, you know, there's a different spin on X, Y, and Z to talk about. But in terms of the actual product, there always has to be something that's coming up definitely that you can talk about. You know, it could just be one new product. It doesn't have to be 10. Or like with you, it's not even a new product. It's a new colorway. Oh, exactly. And so can you imagine people keep saying to me like, oh, you should do yellow or you should do blue. When are you going to launch a Tiffany blue color? And you know, when are you going to launch this? When are you going to launch that? And it's like, if I would have launched all of those to begin with, firstly, I'd be bankrupt. (laughs) I'll be bankrupt. I wouldn't have any money left. And they'd kind of just be selling okay. Because like, what am I going to say today? Did you know we have a yellow bottle? Yeah. Oh, tomorrow. Oh, did you know we have a blue bottle? It's not building any sort of suspense or urgency or anything like that to actually go, oh, we've got some new colors going through mm-hmm. the factory. What are they going to be? Sort of thing. Yeah, I agree. And yeah, to pull it back to manufacturing, it's like I had a chat with somebody the other day and she said, oh, I've got four products, but that's obviously not enough to launch with. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> what? Like, who said? Where have you read that? Yeah. And it also kind of comes back around to like mindset, because I'm sure you had this when you were launching, is that you kind of put it off and put it off and put it, oh, maybe I just need to do this before I launch it. Or maybe I just, maybe I need to have a couple more things before I launch. And it's like, no, four is plenty to launch with, especially when you're working with all sorts of different materials. You might have a piece of knitwear and a sweater and a pair of joggers and a pair of jeans like you've got all different fabrics materials shapes fits sizes prices coming out of your ears not even to mention like all the packaging and stuff that you've got to do just for god's sake make it easy for yourself yeah launch with one or two things that are kind of similar and test it please (laughs) i'm begging you yeah, it's so true. I couldn't agree more. And I think actually I'm quite lucky in the way that, I mean, people say to me all the time, oh, you must have felt like X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, do you know what? I didn't. So the reason I didn't put off the launch, I mean, as soon as I had them, I was like, that was it. But the reason is, is because obviously I know so many people that have their own businesses and I have people that I can turn to and talk to. And I'm such a talker. And I speak to my friends who have businesses and I'm like, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And I know not everyone's, you know, lucky enough to have that, to bounce off. But, you know, just reaching out to random people, I think. I mean, I've built a network by doing that on Instagram, just like speaking to random people. Like, that's how we know each other. Yeah. (laughs) I literally do it all the time. But, you know, just reach out to people and be like, 
you know, just ask a simple question. I mean, I get asked questions daily on Instagram and it's just one of those things that sometimes you need a bit of encouragement or a nudge in the right direction. And, you know, I might say to someone, I actually end up launching with two colors. So have a think about that. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's one of those things. I think reach out and ask, ask your friends, ask your family. I mean, I just asked absolutely everyone I possibly could. Yeah. But then at the end of the day, I'd also say trust your gut on it. Mm yeah definitely so take all the advice and <laughs> chuck it out of the window <laughs> but take all the advice advice but then if your gut is saying launch 10 products I don't know <laughs> <laughs> I know do you know what sometimes I do feel like nervous about giving people the advice of saying trust your gut because my gut instinct has always served me well but I know other people who have just said my gut is like on a different planet <laughs> I don't know I don't know if I trust her that much so yeah that's so good yeah no I definitely trust my gut I think sometimes when you have a feeling you've got to run with it yeah so one of the best and I haven't spoken to you since I last spoke to you about this but one of the best pieces of advice you gave me was to you were like go and butter up your manufacturer go and ask them how they're doing what's going ask them how they are and you were like honestly it'll make their day and I emailed Lily or Kevin or I don't know if they're the same person or if they're different, <laughs> but their emails the same I said oh hi I hope you're well how are you? How's your week going? And the response that I got was like the cutest thing oh. ever. It was like, hi, Lucy. I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for asking. It means a lot. And then they said, you know, spoke whatever we spoke about. And then he went, or she went, I hope you're well too. Remember, when you go outside, you need to wear a mask. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> I know. I, I know. know. Just really see them as your colleagues. Like in the same way, you wouldn't just go into work and punch an email out to the person sat next to you you would say like hi you know did you have a good time at the thing that you went to last night or whatever it is you would sort of like strike up a little bit of conversation before you ask them to do anything you wouldn't unless you're a completely horrible boss you wouldn't just like throw your bag on the desk and go can you go and do this for me just making sure that you are treating them like humans I don't know I, it's so Never wears Prada-esque yeah it's like you would be surprised at how poorly suppliers get treated by big brands. And so that's another thing I get. They go, oh, surely I'm a nobody, you know, I'm of no interest to them. But even if that woman is giving them 10,000 units, but she's treating them like shit, and you come in and give them 100 units, but you're actually really nice to them. I've worked at a supplier. I can tell you the nice people get <laughs> get prioritized regardless. Preferential treatment. Yeah. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. But hopefully it will work for you. I just think anyone like that. I mean, clients of ours, I mean, not that I work with many horrible people, but if someone sends me a short email versus someone going like, hey, how are you? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I'm like, cool, I'm going to do that first because you are like, I don't know. No. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, it's mad. So don't, I was chatting to somebody else before about it, is that you, you just assume that the bigger people have more swing but actually play to your strengths if you can spend a little bit more time constructing a carefully written email you know actually maybe even picking up the phone and going mad and having a conversation because you don't have a boss breathing down your neck that is like a strength that you can play to and really build on that relationship side of working with a manufacturer because I'm sure you know it's a pain in the ass finding one. You don't want to really piss them off too easily. You want to keep them on side and have a long-standing relationship. You don't want to be doing that every five minutes. 
absolutely and my manufacturer as well so interesting the way they work because every time i get a new delivery or a new shipment or you know we're working on something new with them they will develop the way that they present it to me so for example the very first shipment that we got the boxes were quite badly damaged and the packaging that the bottles came in it was good but like wasn't quite right and I couldn't kind of work out how to explain that the packaging wasn't quite right because I don't have experience in actually making a box yeah so I just said to them the lid's quite hard to get off and the next time I got a delivery not only were the bottles sort of packaged inside a cardboard box that was inside a cardboard box to obviously protect them but they had changed the packaging so that there was like tiny, tiny holes that you can't even see on the bottom and the top of the tube for the bottles so that when you open the lid, obviously it's not vacuumed. So the air comes out. So they'd done that without obviously me asking for it and they'd changed the lid ever so slightly so it slid off a bit better. But you know, they hadn't even told me that. They just do it. And I was speaking to a friend who used to work at a huge company called, I think it's called Bamco, but they basically work with manufacturers all over the world to develop thousands of products on behalf of huge companies. So she said that in countries like China or, you know, manufacturing countries where they have lots of factories, they want to retain your business. So definitely they will make your product better without even referring back to you because they know that if they do that, you'll be really impressed with their service and you'll go, oh my gosh, you know, that's actually amazing. And my manufacturer does everything for me. So they make the bottles, but they also source the packaging for me mm. and they get that all printed and, you know, very, very helpful like that. So to annoy them would be so awful for me because I would then have to go and find a new factory and a new packaging factory because I'm not sure that every manufacturer would do that. No, I think it's quite common in the Far East, but definitely like nobody would do that in Europe or the UK, really. It's a little bit more specialist, I guess. I think in the Far East, there's so many people, they'll have like a city that they're in and somebody they know will be a friend of a friend who does that. So they kind of all work together in conglomerate, but something like that, you know, where they'll all group together and give each other business. Yeah. And it's in like a specific region. Yeah. Yeah. So it is sometimes a little bit more labor intensive to do it closer to home. But I mean, there's pros and cons of doing both. Like obviously you get a price benefit from doing it further afield, but you have potential of air freight. It might take a little bit longer to come over. might be slightly as reactive when things go well or when things don't go so well. You have to book a little bit further in advance. You might have a language barrier. Uh, you've got the duty to pay, you've got exchange rates to deal with. But then, you know, in the UK, it's slightly more expensive. You don't have a language barrier. You don't have a time difference to be working with. Obviously, with Brexit coming up, if you're making in the UK, definitely you're fine. There's pros and cons of all of it, but it is worth writing it out and thinking there's no right or wrong answer. Just what am I trying to achieve? Do you know what? I think in an ideal world, And I was speaking with my dad about this, but in an ideal world, I would love to manufacture in the UK. But unfortunately, depending on what product you make, there might not be a factory in the UK that does it. It's just playing to that country's strengths as well. So say in Pakistan, they're really good at sort of washing denim, for example. (laughs) Do you know one of my, I used to have a client in Pakistan who has one of the largest denim factories. Yeah, it's massive. But who knew? (laughs) Lucy knew. I did know, weirdly, yes. Yeah, In Sri Lanka, they're really good at tie-dye. In China, like you say, they're really good at like a perfect finish, like a really clean, crisp finish. 
Whereas in India, it's more about that sort of like handmade embroidery and embellishment. Sort of like there will be a whole village that knows how to do this one kind of embellishment. Wow. In Portugal, they're really good at Jersey and Turkey as well. They're really good at Jersey. So yeah, like I say, there's no right or wrong answer. It's just about doing your research, immersing yourself in that world before you spend your life savings on something that you don't know too much about. Like business does funny things to people and you wouldn't do that in normal life. So don't do it in this case either. Yeah. Do a a little bit of research first because I know it's really exciting and you want to get cracking, you want to get started, but I promise you, you will not regret the research. Yeah. It's the most important part because if you don't, I'm perfectionist in the way that I wouldn't want to release anything that I wouldn't personally pick up and go, I really love this product. That's the pressure that we tend to put on ourselves. And I think one of the biggest things I've learned through like the sampling process and the manufacturing process, don't settle for less than you actually want. Definitely. The other thing I'd say is that, like going back to what we talked about earlier, it is your responsibility to get the idea from your mind into reality And for you to verbally or the way you write it, communicate that to somebody else. I think people put a lot of pressure on the manufacturer to draw the ideas out of their mind, but that's not really their job. Their job is to manufacture something that you have decided on. And so if it's not quite right, like when you said your packaging wasn't quite right, go back to them and like talk about it. Some people just like they've got really short fuse and they go, this isn't what I wanted. This isn't what I asked for. And, you know, how could you have not understood my very clear email? And it's like, actually sort of check yourself before you wreck yourself, you know? Yeah. Just go back and think, okay, is this clear? Ask one of your parents, say, what do you take from this? Because it's all new, isn't it? You've never realized, like you say, I didn't realize how to communicate that with somebody about the lid not fitting on properly but go on a video call or something the amount of time that you try and explain to somebody that the fabric isn't quite drapey enough but if you've got a top in your wardrobe that is the perfect drape that you're trying to show create a whatsapp video and send it to them and say this is what I want especially when there is a language barrier there as well yeah visual communication like take the fluffiness out of it what people say is like, I want a sort of grayish pink color. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and it's like, no, I don't no. know. What you mean. Please give me a Pantone reference to follow and I will follow it. So definitely taking the fluffiness out of your communication and get really, really specific. Like that is your responsibility, not theirs. Theirs is to make it, but not create it. Yeah, I think going back to what you just said also about the, I guess for me, it was the packaging and the lid. I didn't get in a fluff about it. But I think one of the main things that I took from it is that, you know, actually, I got it to as close as I possibly could the first time round. And then I realized that actually, I had the same color packaging for two different colors. And that was irritating for me when I was packaging things up. So putting a pink bottle And I was like, hang on a second, is that a pink bottle or a stainless steel bottle? I can't tell because the packaging is the same color. And then I'd have to open it again. And like, that's when I was like, oh, taking the lid off is really difficult. (laughs) So obviously I did what I thought was right. And then from there, I thought, you know what, let's just switch it up and make the packaging a different color and it'll be easier. And then obviously, again, there was something else to talk about. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's obviously with the communication, I think it is one of those things that, yeah, definitely have to be more descriptive. 
And that's also another tip that you gave me last time. You were like, put everything on a piece of paper and properly reference it. And actually, that's something that we would do for clients on websites or branding, for example. So Mm -hmm. it shouldn't really be any different for an actual physical manufacturing process. Because I guess what we do is I manufacture stuff on the internet. So and what you're doing is 2D and to lift something like a sketch. So say somebody drew a sketch of a website, that's like 2D to 2D. It's not ideal, but like it's the same. But to lift something from 2D into 3D is like a whole new ball game. Yeah. Because that's when you need technical drawings of things and like pattern constructors or like prototype makers to go through that process. You can't just say, oh, I've done this little sketch. Can you make it into a dress for me? Or I saw Nicole Kidman wearing this dress. Could you potentially make a version of it for me? And to you, in your head, you know what a version of that is. But especially when you're working with people in the Far East, they are so eager to please you that they'll go, yeah, 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 I I can do that for you. And then it comes back and it's not what you wanted, but it's usually because it hasn't been clearly sort of written out and gone through the right process of those technical drawings and going through the prototype stages. Yeah, definitely. I think one of the last things I wanted to ask you about is because I know you've previously said to me that you were very good at, I can't remember what the specific example you said was, but you said you used to do all sorts of price negotiations. And it's an interesting one because I think when you go to a manufacturer, you're like, because you don't know how much these things cost, you Mm -hmm. kind of go to them blind and you go, okay, how much is it per unit? And they, you know, they give you a price and then you say, okay, "Um, (laughs) okay, then I suppose that's just what it is then. But how would you suggest going about, I guess, finding out how much these things cost or actually how much you would be willing to pay for them if you don't have experience in that? Yeah, I always say to people, don't work from the cost price and multiply it by four to get the sale price. Like that's kind of what you get taught. But actually, I think you need to have an idea of what that commercially could sell for. Because you can't obviously, say you're making dresses, you can't email the owner of And Other Stories and say, how much do your dresses cost, please? Like you have kind of got to think, okay, if everyone's working on a sort of 70% margin or let's go for 66% margin because it's easier. So say they're selling a dress for £100, you know then that that dress, I think this is right, would then cost about £33 if they're working on a 66% margin. And so then you're like, okay, then if I need to sell it at 100 and I think that is commercially acceptable for what I'm trying to do, you then need to work backwards. And so you're thinking, okay, my dress, everything, packaging, fabric, production, shipping, like if it's included, like all needs to be included in that 30 quid. Yeah. Then when you're going to a manufacturer, you've got some kind of ballpark figure in your mind about what they tell you. Yeah. And then you can use that. The, the thing I would say is if you're at the very beginning, this is about like how to launch a product. Throughout this whole podcast, I've been banging on about like not spending all your money on stock. And so you're probably going to be negotiating on really small quantities. Like I used to negotiate quantities that were like 100,000 units. So I had the buying power of a big brand behind me, whereas you might not necessarily have that if you're buying like 10 units. And so what I would try and negotiate at the beginning isn't necessarily the price. It's like all the other stuff. And so making sure that if they say our minimums are 300 units, you say, okay, can I negotiate that? So I want the same price, but I want 80 units instead. Or 
okay, that price is fine, but can you deliver it in a better quality fabric for the same price? Or can you deliver it three weeks quicker than what you said for the same price? And so you can't necessarily negotiate the price because when you're buying such small quantities, there's no incentive for them. So know that there are other things that you can negotiate at the beginning to like set the tone. Because if you say, okay, I'm going to accept that it costs £80 to make that dress and it's going to take eight weeks and it's in polyester, not X, and I have to buy 300 of them. You look like a bit of a pushover from the offset. And so then they know when something else comes up, they'll be like, oh, she'll just accept that. And it's like, no, just try and put your foot down on something like anything, to be honest, to begin with, to like set the tone of that relationship that you are in control. Yeah. And then you can kind of start negotiating on the price as your quantities go up. Yeah. Do you know what? You just basically told me that I did negotiate without even knowing it because my factory was like, yeah, we won't make any less than a thousand units. I was like, that's not going to work for me. <laughs> yeah. Like being prepared to walk away. Yeah. I think, uh, I can't even remember what, what it was now, but in terms of the numbers, they were like, yeah, per unit, you have to order three. I think it was like, well, no, it must have been more than this. I think they were saying like 500 per color. And I said, right, how about we say it's 300, but. I do two colors and it's 300 altogether. Yeah, perfect. So, you know, doing something like that obviously helps. And I think as well is, I mean, my factory, all the people, all the main contacts there, they all follow everything that I do on Instagram. So they can (laughs) see exactly how it's going. Yeah. And I think that's that's really exciting for them. Well, yeah, exactly. But, you know, they like everything as well. I think they find interesting and I think they can get a gauge of, you know, where it's going in the future. Actually, if there is room to negotiate, they go, do you know what? It looks like she's doing quite well. So actually next time we'll do X amount of units for this price or we'll let her off having however many colors it was for X amount of units. So, And that goes back to like selling yourself to them at the beginning. So if you have built up an audience like you had, I'd have no idea how many followers you had, but say you had like 5,000 followers on your account before you launched that brand. You can say, I have built up a business. So like sell yourself to them. You know, I've got an audience waiting, ready for this product that they're going to love. Or I have worked in e-commerce for 10 years and my background is in this, this and this. I'm confident that this is going to work. Like it might not be directly related to the product, but if you can give them a gauge that you're confident that it's going to be a success, they're going to be more likely to take notice of you at that beginning stage rather than being like, hi, I just had a really good idea for a business and thought you might be able to help me, you know, like put your business woman knickers on. That's what I would say. Yeah, pull your big girl pants up. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, in terms of followers as well, I think it's an interesting one because, and I say this all the time, you can have 10,000 followers who are not buying anything from you, but you could have 100 followers that every single one of those people are liking every single one of your posts and commenting on them. So as long as like the engagement's there, not to worry too much about the followers. I think when I launched, I had, I think I had about 700 followers when I launched. Mm. But you send that to them and say, you know, look at my account. It's got a lot of buzz about it. I'm really excited that you are going to help me grow this business and we can build it together. That kind of language is really sort of encouraging rather than how cheap can you get this for me? It's just a different vibe. It sets a different tone. It's like when, um, (laughs) this isn't to do with manufacturing at all, but it's quite funny. I got a message on my website a few weeks ago going, hi, can you, uh, you got any discounts at all? And I went, (laughs) Um, not for you I was like uh, no we don't but I think it was like at the time we were doing free shipping when you sign up to the newsletter so I said oh if you sign up you can get free shipping 
So there's nothing you can do on the price at all. I was like, it's not a fucking market. <laughs> yeah. The price is the price for a reason. Definitely. Sorry if you don't like it. Yeah. And I think that's so important. I think to somebody who hasn't got as much confidence as you could really sort of like let that get them down. And it's like, please, please know that not everybody is going to get it. I also think though, it's funny because it's, I actually think something like that's a compliment because someone's going, you know, perhaps they don't have the budget to spend £35 on a stainless steel wine bottle, but they want to buy it from you. They don't want to buy a cheap version from someone else. They don't want to buy a £10 stainless steel bottle from the local supermarket because they want what you're selling. Mm. But you know, sorry, still not getting discount. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, like make sure you, you sign up to our newsletter, keep following us. Like the more content that you see, the more you'll understand where the price is at. And for that reason, I hope you understand and draw a line in the sand with it. I never feel the need to justify prices to people that ask that. I just, you know, the price is what it is. And don't get yourself in a tiff about explaining your prices. No, just like follow me and you'll see my journey kind of thing rather than sort of specifics. Like, well, it is this because this and, you know, just say, come and have a look. You'll see where I'm at. Yeah, I mean, I I could talk all day about this (laughs) because as well, like you might launch with a more expensive product and then you might bring a cheaper product out. So for example, the tumblers are cheaper than the bottles. So the tumblers have just gone wild because it's still like, you can still get a piece of the pie, still a really good gift, but they're cheaper than the bottles. So, you know, now more people can afford them. Very clever. Mm, It is very clever. (laughs) You're a clever woman. I just did it without even knowing. (laughs) Well, that's maybe why you're a natural born entrepreneur. Oh, thanks, girl. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. This was so good. Yeah, I enjoy it. I forget sometimes that I like talking about these things. Yeah, you spend so long talking about it with clients. It's nice to just sort of like, just have a little chit chat about it. Yeah, it's been good. Thank you for asking me. You're so welcome. Your episode that we did before went down so well, so I'm really excited. I feel like this whole series is just going to be an epic bubble of information and knowledge. Yeah. And also I would say the same to you that the podcast that you did on mine, so mine's called The Fashion Feed and the title of it is How to Launch with a Small Audience. And people still message me now like saying they got really good value out of it. So if you're in this boat and you've not listened to that episode yet, definitely go ahead. Yes. And go and listen to your podcast because it is fantastic. Oh, thank you. Cool. So Elizabeth, where can we find you? So I'm at Elizabeth Styles UK on Instagram. It's Styles with an I, not a Y. Harry, Harry Styles is with a Y, <laughs> not me. And I'm actually running a lot of courses at the moment for people who might be in a boat where they're you know, looking for a little bit of help. So I have a course about how to start a fashion brand, which is launching in January. I have a course called the Self-Belief Sessions. So if you're having a little bit of a wobble and need to understand why that is and how you can show up more for your business confidently, that's called the Self-Belief Sessions. And then I also have another course called the Visibility Project, which is all around how to create content to improve your conversions online. So you are the course queen. I know, I only started them in April and then (laughs) now I've got three. I just, I really like sharing information with people in the way that is easy to understand. So yeah, and you're very good at it as well, if I may say so. I love your examples. My analogies (laughs) and examples, yeah. Also, I love how you use a different example every time. Like the blanket example, for example. I'm I just would... looking at my blanket that's that next to me. <laughs> I just say what I see. I always say what I see. 
See, I do that, but I always pick like the most obscure thing. Like now I'm currently looking at my Apple Watch charger. So, I mean, I don't know if that'll make a great example. (laughs) We could make it work. (laughs) Cool. Thank you so much for joining me and I will speak to you soon. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope that you found value in that, whether you are looking to launch a product yourself or you're just interested in the process. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and please, please, please leave a review if you enjoyed this episode or you are enjoying the series. It really does mean a lot to have your feedback and to know that you guys are listening and involved. So yeah, please do go and subscribe and make sure you're following me on Instagram. You can follow me at Lucy Hitchcock underscore. You can follow at The Winging It Podcast. And if you want digital marketing tips, you can follow at Sassy Digital. And obviously, if I've got any breath left, please go and follow at Partner in Wine UK, where as well as posting about all of our latest products and everything that we're launching, I do make sure that we do plenty of behind the scenes so you can see exactly what it is like to run a product-based business. Thank you so much for listening and I'll be back next week with another episode.